Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. My next guest, Alexander Farnsworth, is a writer, photographer, artist, and entrepreneur who entered the controversial and fascinating world of cannabis retail, founding Farnsworth Cannabis, a family company he opened alongside his long-term partner, acclaimed fashion designer and friend, Adam Lippis, his brothers, Braden and Sterling, and his sister, Isabella. The Farnsworths are descendants of the great American inventor, Philo T. Farnsworth, who's credited with inventing the electronic television, leaving the next generation with the vision to see the family name through decades later by elevating cannabis to an American heritage status. Farnsworth Fine Cannabis Company was created with the idea that cannabis consumption should be an informed, easy, and elegant experience for everyone. Alexander Farnsworth is here. He's making his mark and he's in my heart. Welcome. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So excited to have you on. So, okay, so full transparency, we we go way back and we know each other and I've known your partner, Adam, for many, many years. And so I am like overflowing with excitement for this podcast because I'm so super proud and in awe of what you've done. And I just want to start from the early roots. So let's start with Philo. We got to start with your granddad. So the great American inventor who is credited with inventing the electronic television. He was responsible for an incredible discovery that changed the lives of the modern world, but he died a poor man. Let's talk a little bit about how that affected you and how that affects you today in the business that you're creating. Yes, I think quite simply, it really puts a lot of fire underneath us and gives us a lot of motivation day after day. And as you know, entrepreneurship is a very difficult and long road, especially in the cannabis industry. And growing up in Utah, our family was often more focused on our Mormon heritage and legacy than they were on our our great great uncle, who was a great American inventor and brought something to the world and really saw the future, you know, five or six decades in advance of the current world that we're living in. And so for me, Philo's story is really an American story about perseverance, and doing good for the people as opposed to for himself. What does that mean to you and your family today when you're making a brand that's, I'm just going to say, that's elevated in status? But, you know, when you think about moving into the cannabis you know, world and that business, obviously it's, it's, it's fairly new, although we're seeing it legalized state by state here and there. It's still a very kind of wild, wild west business, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, a lot of people, when they think of pot, they think of like, you know, Peace and Woodstock and things like that. And I mean, you're one of the few people walking around the Berkshires with a suit jacket on. So, you know, you've brought an elegance to a business that I have not seen before. And you've been credited in some of, you know, America's finest publications, uh, you know, for elevating the status and, and the thought process behind this business. Philo should have been an American heritage brand. I mean, should have had his name stamped on televisions and, you know, things like that. So is that part of branding, building that branding coming from that family root? Yes, for us, having Philo as a figurehead makes our brand rooted in a reality that for us is very meaningful, um, but that we feel is a story that is deserving to be shared. 
And in terms of how that plays into elevating the cannabis space and the retail experience, what I love about including in our showroom, we have over 50, you know, vintage original Farnsworth radios. I love having the, the history because as we know, the cannabis industry in its legalized form is new, but cannabis consumption is not. And cannabis as a plant, you know, has very, very old roots. And so for us, being able to uh, reinvigorate uh, what we see as an American heritage brand um, gives us some uh, framing and some focus when in every decision that we make. I love this. And it shows, let me tell you, because whenever anybody is running through the Berkshires, the Massachusetts, you have got to stop on Main Street in Great Barrington and go to Farnsworth because not only does he have incredible product, but it is an experience when you walk in the store. It's the choice I make when I walk in the store. And it's, yeah, of course I went in there because I know you and I love you, but I keep coming back because of what you provide people and, and the service that you provide and the experience that you provide. Now, so you, you mentioned that you grew up in a Mormon community in Utah, and I want to talk a little bit about what that was like and how it affected you and how you view things as a young man and how you see that imprinted into who you've become as an adult. Because I know Great Barrington, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the town, inspired you a little bit of home. It reminded you of Salt Lake City, Utah, a little bit. So talk to me about the do's and the don'ts of the Mormon community and how that plays into what you're doing today. Yes, well, Mormonism is one of the, the new American religions um, that's rooted in Christianity, but really brings it to an extreme where I grew up in a reality where coffee was bad. Soft beverages like Coca-Cola were bad. Um, and of course, alcohol was a definite no-no. And so when it came to cannabis, that was also definitely devil's work. not allowed. <laughs> yes. And so as young people, we are susceptible to what is displayed around us, to the societal norms that are ingrained in our culture. Fortunately for me, and feeling like an outsider within the Mormon community as a young gay person struggling with my sexuality, I didn't subscribe to the things that I saw around me that others just simply followed. And so for me, cannabis is also, and it's always, it's always represented liberation and a form of freedom from expanded thoughts and ideas to feelings and how our body feels and how we feel activated when we walk the earth. And so if, if anything, growing up in a conservative uh, Mormon community, for me, cannabis is about liberation. And as we've seen with legalization, there is a societal shift in, in thinking and acceptance that will allow us to have new experiences as, as a culture. That's really exciting, isn't it? Because I know we share a truth and what I love that you're talking about is even though that you were told certain things and saw certain things, you knew that it wasn't your truth. And I think mm -hmm. that that's exceptional as a young man. And, you know, I want to talk about, you know, the work you do with LGBTQ plus and, and how you bring that into your business. But I want to I want to start by sharing something that I know to be true about the two of us, and that's history and, and the importance of history and the truth about history and, you know, not whitewashing it, but the good, bad and the ugly, or we're going to see it repeating itself. And so I think that going back to the roots of marijuana and how it all began, 
you know what I mean, is important part to tell people because like, where is this, what is this hemp plant? How did marijuana, you know, what's the history of pot? And you know it. And I love that because I love hearing your storytelling. So talk to us a little bit about the history of pot, what you know about it, and then what opened up in you when you saw that first time you saw Railroad Street in Great Barrington and the lights went off for you and it was a dream that you had to wait for but pursued and successfully? Yes. So first about the the history of cannabis. What I love about this plant is that it's been used for centuries in Africa and India in China and ancient medicine. So while America has its own siloed history and it's, it's wrecked its unique damage on this country, when we look at the world as a whole in, in history going across hundreds of years, we've seen that cannabis, say specifically in India, was used in a beverage format during what we call funerals or, or celebrations of life to induce weeping and celebration and dancing. And so... There is no doubt that both in America and across the globe that there's some rewriting of history that really deserves to happen. And for for many reasons within different societies, um, cannabis was condemned and restricted. And I think it's often the theme is that because cannabis provides some free thought, you know, it it provides people with a connection to the earth, self, earth, all that, yeah. self, community that allows the the consumer to to have ideas beyond kind of what they've already known and to really explore. And I think so oftentimes, power and control is the opposite of exploration and of of ideas. Freedom, freedom. More specifically, to the founding of Farnsworth, I have been visiting the Berkshires for about a decade now. And when I took one of my first trips in 2012, I looked left up to Railroad Street and it reminded me of Park City, Utah, just on a very small version, both because of its sloping streets, Park City's home to Sundance Film Festival and Great Barrington is home to the Berkshire International Film Festival. And so there's a lot of um, similarities. And so I, you know, having left Utah at a very young age to move to New York City with a dream and a suitcase. When I came to Great Barrington, I, I felt a sense of home because it was fam- it was a familiar setting. Other than we ski on anything. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike Utahns. <laughs> yes. I don't do so much skiing out here. But this was in 2012 when, you know, a few states had had legalized, but more specifically, Colorado had just opened its doors to cannabis. And, and America was at the beginning of this process, which now was a, a decade ago. And I think in the past 10 years, the general consensus on cannabis is that we've become more open to it and we it's become more acceptable. But in 2012, that wasn't the case, Heather. And as we know, being in New York and the fashion industry and, and all the hoopla that goes around with that, there's still a, there's still a selective, uh, selective listening or selective hearing when it comes to certain ideas. And for whatever reason, um, cannabis was one of those ideas that people were still against. And so what I found in 2012, when I had this idea that, wow, I'm standing in Great Barrington that 
perhaps could be a great place, the perfect place for a pot shop, because I like its intersection of nature and culture, its proximity to the city, but it is uh, thoroughly rooted in farm to table and, and these ideas that the communities really need to thrive. When I started talking about this idea in 2012, I received a lot of pushback, both from people very close to me and, and others that I encountered who simply felt that, no, that's illegal. That's a drug. That's not allowed. That's not okay. And Heather, that made me want to do it even more. And because from a personal level, there was the same narrative that I heard Mormons say about, about gay people, uh, let alone gay marriage. And I realized early on in, in 2008, when the Mormon church was a huge supporter of the, the anti-gay rights movement at that time and, and for same-sex marriage, I learned that first off, I have to know my truth and I have to accept it. And then I have to accelerate through it and knowing that I'm going to meet resistance, but not allowing what others have to say to deter me from what's in front of me. Beautiful, beautiful and not and brave, not easy to do. You know what I mean? It's hard to buck the system and push it oh, oh, you know, through the naysayers. And you did it in such a beautiful and elegant way. I mean, I mean, that is what you are. I mean, coming off of an early career in marketing and digital strategies, you know, you understand brand building and marketing. You have that, you know, in you. And right away, you used it to set yourself apart from the crowd, elevating cannabis and, and that retail format to the realm of a high-end jewelry dealer when you walk in, you know, your store. Mm -hmm. I say that you're the Christian Dior of pot shops. You know, and it's not because your prices are more expensive. It's because of the service you provide and the luxury that you feel. Everything in your store is accessible, but you take it one step further. The gifts that you have in the store. And I got to tell you, and, and I want to talk about your brother, because you both almost set yourselves up for this without even knowing it. Like the universe is so incredible. You know, your brother is a biochemist studying biochemistry. And, you know, you as, uh, you know, a marketing expert and digital strategist and, and, you know, coming out of beauty and fashion came together in this electric Farnsworth cannabis company. And it's beautiful. I love shopping there. I love sending people there. And what I love about it more than anything, because, you know, I'm a parent and I've got kids who are of the age that are now like wanting to experiment and understand. And what I love about it for my kids as they move into life is obviously, I mean, if anybody doesn't believe the medicinal properties of marijuana, I should probably just shut off the podcast right now. I mean, it's proven. Yes. But um, I mean, so I'm a believer, I'm a user. And I talk to my kids about the cannabinoids. I talked to them about my, I use CBD on my whole family. We wouldn't have it if it weren't for this hemp plant, this beautiful, incredible plant that we actually use every piece of every part of that's been pushed down, just like psychedelics were pushed down by the big glossy white thinkers that were, you know, afraid of people not being in control and, and, and kept. And it's just ridiculous. So I love this emergence of your family from the rooted business of, of heritage to the chemistry and then the marketing behind it. If I walk into your shop and I'm like, hey, listen, you know, I haven't been sleeping or whatever, and my CBD hasn't been working and I'm thinking maybe I want, you're so knowledgeable. Bella, your sister is so knowledgeable. Like I leave there inspired sometimes, like excited to try something new. 
you know, yeah. like, oh my God, this is wonderful. Through meditation, sometimes I like to smoke a little pot and like then do my meditation and it does open my mind and it allows me it to be in touch with self. But if I just got it off the street, like, you know, we used to have to, we don't have any of those benefits that come with the legalization. So I just blurted out a whole mouthful, but take it away from there. <laughs> well, Heather, I think that first to the the feeling of the shop and the the luxurious environment. Yeah. We felt like, of course, in another alternate reality, we would just be able to sell and, and buy cannabis at the farmer's market right here in Great Barrington. Like anyone would show up with their Swiss chard or their, their different types of kale, and they may have a little you know dirt on them from the earth, but you know the farmer's hand that it came from. That's not the case in the legalized cannabis industry at the moment. So if that wasn't possible, we wanted to put cannabis in a museum setting. We really wanted to put it on a pedestal because we felt that museums provide a space for experience and for thought, but largely for education. And the cannabis plan is complicated. And there's so much from a scientific perspective that we don't know yet. Um, And legalization will help us to learn more about it. And that's why it's so important. But we know that the consumer's perception is really directed by how they feel in an environment and how it's safe regulated. they feel. Yes, right. Yeah. And so for us, it was important that that the environment felt safe and approachable and really luxurious because the opposite of shame is is freedom and is representation and is and is we talk about normalization. And so for me, it's about putting it in a setting that is familiar from a display and from a lighting situation. Being able and to look so and see and read to and look, look and it see. is in a museum. You're like you're you're you were inspired by European ap- apothecaries from the 1400s, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that one of your mm-hmm. pieces of inspiration? Yeah. Because we know, I mean, there was a time when cannabis was available at the pharmacy, whether it was cannabis oil or it was cannabis in its raw flower form. Yep. And so the majority of our customers in the Berkshires, especially, are between the age of 45 and 55. And that's exciting because it means that there's a generation that is changing how they feel about something and that is creating the opportunity for a whole new ripple effect, a whole new generations of, of people who, who believe something new. And I think that's important. And so the environment speaks to what's possible because there are you know, some cannabis shops in the legalized industry where you walk in and you still feel like you're in kind of trouble. And so there's For two design elements. You know, it's real yeah, exactly. you know, seedy sometimes out west. So there was two design elements that were really important for us. And the first was that you entered into a very normalized main street lobby with windows that you could see into. And so when you approach the building, you can see someone sitting at the desk and it feels like you're walking into any other kind of shop. And then secondly, it was about the displays. And so that every product we have for sale, you can physically see. You can see the color of the tincture. You can see what the different gummies look like. You can see and smell the flowers. So you can actually learn about it because if you're just staring at a white paper menu, it's really hard to understand this complex plant. And what I also love bringing it back to the Farnsworth element is 
having the showroom, you know, with these these vintage radios from the 40s and 50s, there's a lot of nostalgia that comes with it. Yes. It harkens back to a time when not everything was just these, you know, little black devices and and sleek phones and and small small speakers when communication devices were actually pieces of furniture. And so I think there's something I've seen it, I've seen it in the eyes um, and now luckily in, in the faces of customers, now that we've re- removed the masks, yes. that their eyes light up when they see this, these familiar objects from their childhood. It's like, oh, I had a radio that looked like that in my home. Yeah. And I think that even subconsciously really plays into the, the acceptance of, of cannabis within our, our presentation of it, because already the customer feels comfortable and they feel comfortable because there's a, an educated staff around them that's there to answer questions. And that's incredibly important. Um, and that we can, we have staff members, you know, from the age of 21 to 70 because our customers range from 21 to 90. Right. (laughs) And so it's important that, that there's representation within, within the physical bodies that surround the brand. Yeah. So, you know, oftentimes in America, small businesses are family businesses. I think what's exciting about our group is that, as you said, Braden brings us this level of expertise and education, a scientific background about the plant, but that we're all, we're all aligned with this vision and I think what that that expression of that the family unit is that there's an inherent level of trust. And I think when building a business, it's so easy to feel alone in the process. You know, working with multiple businesses and brands and networks over the years that having business partners you can trust is actually really difficult to find. And so for us, it was about having a foundation of family. We're in it for the long haul. We're aligned and we can trust each other. And then we're also very cognizant of some of the pitfalls of family owned and run operations. Yes. And so we hired, we hired around us accordingly. Mm-hmm. So we have a great CFO who handles the finances. And so there's no discrepancies there with family. You know, we can avoid those. Um, and a fantastic retail manager who is in charge of HR. And so that our, our staff feels like they have a neutral party to go to that's not a family member. Amazing. What I love most about working with family is that we come from a single parent home where what was consistent in our family was our siblings and our mother. We've made a lot of progress over the past decade in America, but the amount of progress to make is quite a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. Quite a lot. So I want to talk about that because, first of all, I commend you for having a small family business feeling mojo that's running through the vibe, but thinking big business. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a mistake a lot of small businesses and family businesses make is that you've got to still invest in it the right way and bring in the right thing. So one of the best signs of a strong manager is to fill in the holes of with people that you know you're not that you know that you don't do you don't excel at so you sit in your chair and you excel at what you excel at and you guys do that beautifully and I, I was going to talk about that with the you know the radios invented by your uncle throughout it and all the apothecary feelings and the way that everybody greets you 
it's incredible. And I know that you visited like over 50 dispensaries as you were starting to study this and very few did you want to return to. And that's not the feeling that you, that you get at Farnsworth. But now I want to talk a little bit about the business, because yeah. as you say, we're talking about struggle and all that kind of stuff. You've got this great architect, Simon Aldridge, you and Adam, you build this amazing thing. People are coming, but now let's talk about the barriers. It's not an easy business to get into. And the classic rules for business, like marketing mm -hmm. budgets that you can expense and things like that, don't apply. So let's talk a little bit about the barriers as you start into a new frontier. Yes, I would say um, in this process, one thing we had on our side was we were a bit naive getting into it in terms of how many barriers there would be. Because if someone had sat me down and said very clearly, okay, this is going to take five times as long and cost 10 times as much yes. and X, Y, and Z is going to happen, then I may have been just a bit more hesitant. But we are, we're very aware that our biggest competitors are the alcohol industry, the tobacco industry, um, the FDA, you know, some of the largest powers within our country. And when it comes to competition within the cannabis space, launching and building a brand in the cannabis industry is unique to almost any other. Because of federal legal or illegalization, yep. you must set up operations in each individual state that you want to be in. So each state has its own licensing process, its own hoops, its own blockades. And in Massachusetts, the licensing process was very opaque. You know, I spent about a year and a half even trying to get a bank account in the very early days. Yeah. And so we're lucky to operate with a bank account, which sounds like obvious, but there's still some states in America where the industry is a cash, truly a cash only business where they can't make deposits. And that's, that's a nightmare. And so we're, we're lucky that we, you know, have banks in the state that are willing to work with us, but that doesn't mean that we're you know, have easy access to credit or debt financing, all the traditional models that companies use to survive and to grow are not accessible to the cannabis industry. And as you said, you know, with being able to just have normalized expenses that you would, you know, put against your top line, there are no deductions in the cannabis industry. As you can imagine, there's no deductions, but then it also costs three times as more to have a, you know, a cannabis specific tax accountant to to weave you through this entire process. And so the overhead on these businesses is quite high. And there's this public perception that, you know, we're just printing cash, right. and that the industry is just, you know, but of course nothing is a gold rush, you know, and, and nothing was, is without barriers. But I think the challenge of the unknown and both the opportunity in a new industry, because having an industry that is new is rare. And I think we've seen with, you know, say like the, the EV, the electric vehicle industry, that's a, that's a new industry, but it's built on traditional automakers, you know, from Ford that's existed forever. Um, they get all the accolades. They're not getting a lot of yeah. the pushback, right? Yeah, they get, they get a lot of the accolades and even support from the government from a sustainability perspective. But when it comes to cannabis, Heather, there are perhaps more obstacles than other businesses. But what I found is that in some states like Massachusetts, we were 
as they called it, able to get a bit of priority licensing for being LGBT owned and operated. So for that, I am thankful um, having, you know, basically fled where I was born and raised because I didn't see a place for me to really survive or thrive as a person um, to be able to get some sort of help or, or, yeah, or leg up lifting up. Exactly. Really? Because yeah. Really felt not in spite of who you are. Yeah. Really felt are. sensational, but that's not to say that it was a perfect pathway or of that. Course not. Um, well, let's talk about the taxes alone, right? I mean, yeah. Massachusetts, we're not taxed on things that we use and, and um, consume food, beverages, clothing, but we're taxed up to the ying for cannabis. Correct. So both from, you know, the customer at the, ca- at the cash register can expect to pay 20% tax, which is, you know, goes to the town and to the state and a special cannabis tax. And then businesses are, you know, we're taxed on all the normal revenues that companies are taxed on. And then we pay right off the top line, we pay 3% to our host community, which is Great Barrington that goes into a cannabis fund for the town. And so, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the, the revenue that cannabis companies are generating across America is exciting because it was revenue that the government formally didn't have because it was in the gray market. Now, how municipalities and states are using the cannabis funds is a kind of another story, but it's certainly being generated for them. I love that, the hope in that, because communities can be built up again through these funds. They can use them for, you know, renovation of the community center, you know, the church bringing activities in for the youth, things like that. And you see those possibilities, even though you're the one helping provide them and you're taxed for them, you have created not just, you know, a dispensary, but a lifestyle destination. And you are, I mean, I know I want to talk a little bit about your plans because you have plans that are going to lean into the community in the way that tips off from where cannabis begins, you know, meditation circles, community places for people that are LGBTQ plus, you know, to go talk a little bit about what you seek to serve in this community. Um, And that sets you apart again, my friend, it does. Thank you, Heather. I started my career at Andre Balazs' office, who's famous for creating spaces that people really enjoy themselves in. For maybe you could call the standard brand an adult playground or the Chateau Marmont, a Hollywood destination for decades. What I found is that we created this incredible environment that people wanted to spend a lot of time in. But if you have a lot of customers, it's really not the place where you can host a author talk to further the education or where you can you know, as you said, have a sound bowl meditation that enhances the cannabis experience. And so we wanted a space that we could bring the community, both the local community and our community of customers together. We also know that, you know, having a Great Barrington, let's say is it's a beautiful town overall, but we are, we're redeveloping this kind of end of the downtown district. And so we are in the process of, of renovating what was an old Getty gas station and, and garage and creating a, an event space and an exhibition space a la Prada Marfa. And the feedback from the community has been incredibly supportive because we took what was a blighted property, you know, for over a decade sitting there becoming more decrepit by the day. Yes. 
and giving it new life. You know, if you want to zoom out and, and talk about sustainability and our, our dependence on oil, I love the idea of taking what was once a petroleum station and turning it into something that's really built for the future. But when looking at, and, and this is a model that we built this dispensary, we've built this destination, but knowing that it's only a small representation of our dreams for the brand. Because talking about regulation, social consumption lounges, places where, where people can actually go to connect together and consume the product are very important. Because in states like Massachusetts, I can't legally go out onto the sidewalk and consume cannabis. And so if I lived in federal housing or if I lived in you know, an apartment building that didn't allow for cannabis consumption, I would not have a place legally to consume the products that I'm able to purchase. For me, looking at other markets and especially in New York, you can certainly expect a Farnsworth consumption cafe in our future, perhaps even a, a Farnsworth hotel, you know, coming from the hotel world and creating interiors and, and lifestyle. It's a dream of ours, you know, to mix both the educational and retail experience truly with a lifestyle experience. Cannabis is a plant that connects people. And I think it's important that the industry advocates to have safe spaces for consumption and spaces where people can, can get together. You know, like a coffee shop in Amsterdam, there's something powerful for a cannabis consumer to really feel like they have a place to be. With like-minded people. Because we know, Heather, that there are many, many, many places where you can consume alcohol across the country and that's been something that really is taken for granted yeah, because it's so have a gas station and a bar and that's it yeah <laughs> speaking about change you know, in the future <laughs> and it's so normalized and so i really hope that in massachusetts on the east coast in america across the country across the globe that we have more spaces that people can consume cannabis and feel safe absolutely and if you're creating an American heritage brand, which you are, one shop ain't going to be enough. But it's also the tentacles in which you reach out beyond your core competency. And you've done that already in your beautiful space here in the Berkshires. I, as, as, as a local person who grew up here, looking at the building up of these buildings that have been left to rot, housing, you know, that has been ancient, that families. I mean, you've seen it to, firsthand your entire life. Seen it my You know better life. than anyone. Yep. And so watching something come in, a new industry come in that's helpful to people, that's helpful to a community with people like you that want to lean into the community and grow education. And it's not like, it's not, you're not printing money. It's been a very hard journey. I mean, every battle is uphill. Mm -hmm. And so you've just, you would never know. I think you bring grace and elegance to an industry that needs it because it sees a lot of the other side, which I'm not saying one's wrong, but we are a diverse melting pot of people. And so I'm so happy that there are federal regulations and uh, look-sees that say, okay, we need to now support people that we've suppressed. And Correct. you do that too, you know, as LGBTQ and you creating places for people to come and be comfortable and learn about cannabis and how it can help them and work for them. And so the service you're providing is so important, I think, to our community. And you do it a step above. 
I just love you for that. And I am 100% behind you. And I know that seeing your family name lit up in the sky, making a mark of progress and uh, making a place in a community would make your forefathers very proud <laughs> and, and using you. your family name. And you're going to love this one in such a high minded way. Thank you. Yes, I love, <laughs> I love it. So is there anything else that you want to add to listeners that maybe are have never experienced cannabis or are nervous about it or, you know, yes. anything that you might want to add? Always start low and go slow, low doses. Some of us have had those experiences of perhaps having a cannabis infused brownie that we don't know the dosage and, oh, and yes. really overdoing it. And what we've learned is once consumers have one negative experience, they're really turned off to the plant forever. And the peeling properties and the medicinal properties of the plant, there's really untold possibilities there. And that's what I'm most excited to see in the future is how our society is actually able to use a plant that is natural and can be sustainable to heal themselves. Obviously, there's a place for modern medicine and all of this, you know, we know, we know that to be true. But so certainly for new consumers, there's a lot of great reading resources. The Cannabis Bible is a great place to start. Lizzie Post, who's the granddaughter of Emily Post, has a great book called Higher Etiquette that is a kind of a great 101 guide. And call us. We have the Hummingbird Hotline. You can chat with us online or, or give us a call and we're happy to, you know, we speak to people in, in all different states um, and to give them guidance. And lastly, I just want to say go forth without shame, you know, go forth in freedom and feel empowered to explore a plant, you know, as we always say, eat your fruits and veggies, you know, and, and consume cannabis with the idea that it's coming from the earth and that it's been put on the planet for a purpose and to not judge yourself in the process. I've been taking this tablet that Alexander turned me on to, and I don't feel high at all from it. It's called Bliss is what the name of the, on the package. And I call it my happy pill. Everybody in this time, you know, of life of uncertainty and there's fear comes in and there's a lot of pivoting and changing. And, you know, I was struggling with like emotions. I was feeling a little down in the dumps and you, I was telling you, and you were like, you, you know, I think you should try this. And I, I got to tell you guys, I don't ever feel high at all. And I know what it's like to feel high. And I enjoy that, but this is a wonderful medicinal functional high. I don't know if it takes the edge off, but I do feel more glee. I just, I feel a little bit, you know, a pep in my step. I feel happier when I'm having it, if I'm feeling down in the dumps. So, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot, I mean, a good dear friend of mine, I, I, you know, I watched his brother, you know, I sat by while he died of leukemia and this is in, in the eighties and smoking a joint with Kurt was the only thing that made him feel better and, you know, eased his pain from suffering and cancer. And so again, you, like you said, lean into it, learn about it as beautiful as the store is. And, and the added beauty is his stanchions to help keep people organized are made of beautiful hemp rope. So mm -hmm. from the cannabinoids, we're still discovering to those that we know, um, you know, CBD, I've had, I've had a lot of conversations about that on my show to THC, lean in, call the hummingbird hotline. I love that. Go visit, tell people where they can find you and learn more about you and follow what you and your family is doing. Yes, farnsworthfindcannabis.com. Um, on Instagram, farnsworth.fcc. We didn't speak about marketing and the complexities there, but we've had multiple Instagram accounts get shut down. So if we disappear it, on you, it was not by uh, intention. 
but know that there are daily fights that we are going through. And yeah, call us at the Hummingbird Hotline. And the dot com will always be secure, your, yes. your website. You know, so part of the launch of this was not only this beautiful store and moving into locations very close by to provide other resources to people, but that website that you launch is also a resource in the hotline. And I love that. So the last question I have for you is when you are not breaking barriers and lifting people up and showering people with knowledge and your your beautiful spirit. How do you find your freedom? What are you doing outside of work and that makes you feel full? I have taken back to the typewriter and I'm uh, fighting every day for a bit more of, of my own time. I love writing and I love, I guess I'm a bit of a Luddite really, but I love the tactile effects of a typewriter and the sound it makes and how it kind of just allows me to, to wash away my thoughts and to get it out on paper. And so I am happily tucked behind the typewriter when I have time. Writing it down. I love it so much while you're lifting us up. I love you so much. You are just a drink of class and elegance. And I swear you were born a million years ago, a million times. And thank you for your bravery. And thank you for loving the Berkshires as much as I do. And I love having you around and I love having you in my heart. This is Heather Thompson, and this is In My Heart. Be sure to follow along and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts because we're going to be here and we'll be at you next week with a new episode.